Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Center for Charter Schools, a leader in educational choice and quality. I'm here with my colleague, uh, Megan Brown. Good morning, Megan. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Orlando. It's good to be with you this morning. I can't wait for our great discussion. We are excited for our discussion today. Uh, however, unfortunately, our colleague Janelle Brzezinski is not joining us today, uh, but we are very happy for her. She's on maternity leave, happy, healthy at home. So we will, uh, there'll just be two thirds of us here today, but I think you and I can manage this pretty well. I think so. Uh, we do have two of our colleagues uh, from the office joining us today, Jason Sarsfield, who is a deputy director, uh, and Joe Marr, who is our data uh, resident data researcher. And we're going to talk to them a little bit about the NWEA testing that we do in our schools and why that's important and some of the data that they're seeing uh, as a result of the testing happening mm -hmm. in schools. So we're super excited to uh, have them join us here shortly for the discussion, and we hope you all stick around for um, an exciting discussion on data. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. So here, we're here with our two guests, Jason Sarsfield and Joe Marr. Jason Sarsfield is our deputy director um, and oversees multiple units, including our data research unit and our um, compliance and accountability unit, our finance unit, and uh, importantly, our academic unit. And Jason, can you tell us a little bit about the NWEA test and why that's important um, as we begin to talk about the research that you guys have been doing? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Orlando, uh, for the question. And thanks, everyone, for listening in uh, today. Uh, glad to, to have you um, and, and share this information. Uh, CMU really pioneered the use of NWEA for over the last 15 years um, as a tool that allows, uh, obviously, its users, school folks, uh, valuable information on helping um, direct instructional efforts. But also, uh, we believe and have believed that given it's a test that's given in the fall, winter, and the spring, primarily focusing on fall and spring, it gives more and detailed, accurate measures of student learning than traditional state tests that are provided only uh, once a year. And it's been very valuable over the last 15 years. But more recently, through the pandemic, uh, over the last two school years, the state legislature uh, in uh, statute has required that all students in grades K to eight across the state be assessed with what they refer to as a benchmark assessment. And the NWEA is one of those that qualify as that benchmark assessment. So what we're seeing now, Orlando, is uh, much more widespread use and mandated use um, of those uh, assessments. And there's also mandates around reporting out at public board meetings about the results uh, in an attempt to be transparent, shine some light essentially on uh, the continued impact of COVID-19 pandemic on student learning. Thank you, Jason. Um, so suffice to say that this test is now serving multiple roles, not just, um, and, and actually we've removed accountability from the, from the test uh, during the pandemic, but um, Traditionally, it serves as an accountability tool for us, but also as a 
tool for teachers to kind of understand where their students are at the beginning of the year. Um, I failed to mention that we also have Joe Marr with us, our resident data research uh, expert. And so last time we talked in April, Joe, you know, we, we talked about the results that we were seeing through the pandemic. Can you walk us through what you've been seeing with the assessment results and research since this time, kind of the spring results and, and findings spring to fall? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when we talk about the assessment results over the course of the pandemic, I think it's also important to pull in fall of last year and talk through some of that context, too. So, you know, the arc of the story that we've seen unfold throughout the course of the pandemic is is last fall um, when students were assessed in the fall of 2021 or 2020, rather, uh, a lot of those assessments were taken from home in a virtual environment, which presents its own challenges. And what we saw in that assessment environment and in that period in fall of 2020 was that throughout the course of the beginning of the pandemic, um, math had really fallen in terms of achievement. So math achievement rates were much lower across our portfolio, um, while reading remained relatively stable from before the pandemic into that that kind of first uh, assessment window of the pandemic in fall of 2020. It was really interesting to see that because I think a lot of folks expected that both subjects, both math and reading, would have taken a similar hit across that time frame, and really we only saw it emerge in math. Um, and that really aligned with what folks saw across the country uh, at NWEA and even when um, the state produced their report in the spring. That's kind of what they what they noted as well, is that reading was slower to fall than math was in that first period. Now, when we moved to this past spring, what we saw was that math continued to decline, but then now we started to see some reading achievement declines emerge as well. Um, and I don't think there's been a, a cohesive narrative around why it took longer for those declines to emerge in reading that we saw in math, but it really turned things away from what we were kind of calling a math crisis in the fall of 2020 to a crisis of both subjects, uh, math and reading in the spring of 2021. And so now as we move from this past spring to this fall, what we've seen is that math has continued to decline um, and reading has also continued to decline, both at a slower rate than we saw from fall of last year or the spring of last year. And so what we what we tend to see in our portfolios level data is that um, math growth has increased from last year, but it's still not to pre-pandemic growth levels. And reading growth has continued just a small decline over the course of the whole pandemic. And so it's really become um, in an urgent situation in both math and reading now that we see the declines have emerged in both subjects and both subjects are experiencing lower rates of growth than before the pandemic. And Orlando, I would just add that, as you know, we have uh, over 28,000 students in our portfolio, just under 60 schools. And so I say that to say, essentially, we are very confident that because of that large data set, it's representative of the state as a whole, including the diversity socioeconomically, as well as geographically of those schools and students. So it gives us a real opportunity to make some broader conclusions, as well as our assessment practices ensuring reliability. Of what they do. So 
just wanted to mention that before we go. Yeah, down. thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. One of the big things we see from our portfolio is when we look at where our students come from, um, it, which districts uh, send students to CMU schools, we could see that in the in the state data. Um, we see that the largest single district where we have students come from is Detroit Community Detroit Public Community School District. And then uh, the next largest category that we look at is other. So these are all students from across the state, from all over the state and kind of every different corner. And so um, we get about 13,000 students of the, so almost half of our whole portfolio is in smaller numbers from across the state in every district throughout the state. So we feel really good about the representativeness of our, of the data that we collect, um, that it represents the state broadly as opposed to just one specific region or city. So Joe, now that the schools have the data, how do they use it? How do they look at the trends from last fall, spring, and this fall to make informed decisions on the instruction that they have with our students? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think what it's what it's morphed into, like I said, in the fall of 2020, we were talking about things as more of a math crisis. And that was pretty common throughout the course of the, or throughout the analyses that came out of the first part of the pandemic, was seeing these huge math declines. And what we saw a lot of our schools do out in the field is um, is really put a lot of focus and intention on math and math interventions and all of that sort of stuff as they were helping folks deal with a pandemic and teachers deal with a virtual environment and all of those things that you know made things um, really difficult to adjust and so what we saw through this time and you know I, we're making some inferences here based on the data that we have available from the fall is that it appears that some of those math interventions and that focus really worked when it came to the fall of 2021. We saw that math growth increase. We still saw achievement declines, but that was, you know, um, not terribly surprising based on what we were seeing last year. But we saw some of that fall to fall math growth really improve, not quite to where it was pre-pandemic, but compared to last year. And so, as folks move forward through the pandemic, really, I don't think we can really say out of the pandemic, but through the pandemic, I think it's really important that they continue to provide those robust interventions for kids, but it's going to be now in both math and reading to close that the gaps that they see. So, Jason, um, as I understand what you guys said, uh, both math and reading had some declines initially. Uh, reading continued to decline. Math had a little bit of a rebound, um, and and they're kind of on par in terms of their decline for growth. But what are the real implications for teachers and administrators in the buildings as they look to you know in this time of pandemic um, with remote learning you know on and off? What are the real implications for teachers and administrators um, as a former administrator, as a former teacher? Maybe you can give us some insight into that. Yeah, sure. Um... So all teachers have had students behind grade level, uh, you know, and, and, you know, throughout history, of course, we always had students behind grade level and some significantly in some classrooms and some schools more so than others. Uh, but now what we're seeing is widespread loss of learning or um, students not learning as much as they may have learned in the past. So it's more systemic now than it may have been individual in the past. And so there's a, there's a couple of things there in terms of what it means. So 
and, and it's also to Megan's question about what to do with the data. So first and foremost, it's about knowing where each individual kid is and not just the aggregates and really targeting what the specific deficits are for those students. Uh, but it's also whole school attempts, um, looking at continuous school improvement efforts, looking at the effectiveness of your curricular and instructional programs, uh, thinking about supplemental instruction, summer school programs, and not every type of strategy is going to fit for every school. Uh, but one of the things that you know I'm hearing of is more of the need to not just tailor individual instruction to individual students, but to think about systemic efforts to try to address some of the learning loss that's happened over the last two years. Thank you for that, Jason. And we talk about, you know, the impact that it has on our schools. Um, I want to go back slightly to what Orlando had mentioned earlier, that we as an authorizer made the decision to not use the data for high stakes decisions. Can you all give us more context around that and explain why we made that decision for the schools that are in our portfolio? Sure. That's a, you know, complicated and, and tricky um, question answer. I'll do my best though, Megan. And so um, when the pandemic hit us in March of 2020, it was largely obviously unexpected. Folks are having a very difficult time adapting and adjusting. And so uh, what we immediately said is we waived the requirement to take the NWEA, much like the state did with the MSTEP that spring. And, you know, that was really out of a reflection to focus on your kids, focus on as much as you can helping them. But let's not worry about, you know, some of the things that we have no control over, like such as the pandemic. And so um, it was really to honor that. Um, we then um, uh, followed the state's law around benchmark assessments the following year. So in, in helping schools comply with that, but given the back and forth in and out nature and un, unpredictable and un, um, you know, really a difficult time kind of planning for the unknown, um, we also continued to feel like it was important for schools to focus on their kids and not worry about um, that data as it relates to accountability and high stakes decisions. Now, moving into this year, we are going to be focusing on growth and we're going to be focusing cautiously on growth in the spring. We look at fall to spring growth, but that's the first metric that we're sort of, sort of quote unquote, bringing back. Um, and when you think about that metric, you know, our contract standard has been, in part at least, that uh, schools achieve a median growth percentile of 50. So that means a student at the median is growing one year for one year's time. But we know that most students right now, we actually need to accelerate that for most students. And so we do feel that that is still um, the most reasonable and relevant standard right now um, in kind of our accountability framework as it relates to, to this school year. So we will be, um, our plan and intention right now is uh, to issue um, an academic performance report at the end of the school year and post those on our websites like we've done in the past, being careful to redact the last two years of data, but again, focusing on fall to spring growth this year. Joe, do you have anything to add? I mean, I think that that explains really well what we were thinking. And, you know, one of the big considerations when we made the decision to move away from uh, accountability and waive that during the pandemic was because of even some of the technical challenges around assessing kids virtually. And what does it mean to have a nine week long assessment window in the fall? Um, and so there were also some very technical challenges on top of the strategic challenges we experienced as well that kind of led to that decision. And as you know, and can appreciate as the former school leader yourself, Megan, um, you know, you never want to make high stakes decision unless you're very confident in, you know, the accuracy of the data. So um, 
you know, to Joe's point, some of the technical challenges did, we think, compromise that for the sake of high stakes decisions. Yet there still is insights as we've shared around some of the things we're seeing in the data from an informational standpoint. So what you guys said has been fascinating for those of us that um, kind of watch this from the side and uh, understand what the university is trying to get accomplished. But I also understand that um, other folks are interested in the work that you guys are doing and that some of the presentations that you guys have put together based on the research you've been doing have been picked up at national conferences. Can you talk about um, the conferences that you guys are going to and some of the proposals that you've put forward to those conferences uh, that surround the data that you guys are pulling together? Yeah, so so throughout this time, we've been, uh, you know, our team has been really looking at, uh, at how we how we help inform what's going on in the sector across the state, across the country. and. Answering, we have this really robust, large data set from the mandates around benchmark assessment, both through the through the pandemic and then now moving into maybe a little bit more normal time, and especially before the pandemic. So we have this really long, long, um, robust data set that a lot of other folks in, in educational research don't have. And so when we look at how we can use that to contribute to to the knowledge base and the actions that come out of the pandemic it was exciting. And so some of the questions that we're asking that folks have been interested in at the American Educational Research Association has been a big focus of ours. It's a, you know, it's a huge, uh, huge association and platform in the field. Um, and we've been asking questions like, uh, like what's the necessary amount of growth that a student has to experience to catch up or to get back um, over the achievement bar, over the national norm? And this, you know, that was one of the big questions that we had even before the pandemic that's become now even more important throughout the pandemic is, you know, what, what amount of growth do we need to see from a student to reach the standard? And so um, we've done some work over the course of the last year and a half or so, two years, um, looking at the other research out in the field and kind of proposing our own solutions for this. And, and that was something that got accepted uh, for presentation at AERA, the American Educational Research Association um, in San Diego. And so we had a couple other other things get accepted across the country at different places. Um, there was uh, three other proposal or two other proposals at AERA. Um, that were accepted around which groups of students have been impacted the most by the pandemic. I think we suspect and you know can confirm on, with some of our research that um, achievement gaps between students of higher socioeconomic status and lower socioeconomic status have grown. Um, so we're kind of proving some of that uh, anecdotal stuff that we're hearing and, and, and seeing. Um, and then we're also looking at some more micro focus and more actionable focus for folks that are working in schools, um, specifically around which strands, which subscores, which content areas, let's say in math, have been impacted most during the pandemic. And does that change across grade levels? And so that's been something that, that we're presenting at the Council for Math Education um in texas next year as well uh and these types of things as they reach as they reach a final version and we narrow in on what 
on what we're seeing and finding will live on our website under the um, resource center for authorizers where there's research and analysis and we'll post these things and then communicate them more broadly as we as we know things too and i just add that uh when you you know to your specific question orlando many other authorizers have contacted us just to try to learn what we've learned um, and apply that to their authorizing practices as they try to navigate the pandemic as well um and i just like to give joe and his team a huge shout out those that's big accomplishments at AERA, for example, they got over 10,000 proposals submitted. Um, so for, for us to get multiple ones accepted is a, is a big deal we're proud of. Dr. Davy Storer on our team has really led those efforts. And so hats off to him. Last thing I'd mention in that regard is Sherry Betcher, assessment manager on our team, has been uh, elected to the board of directors of the Michigan Educational Research Association due to her longstanding engagement in that organization and our team's longstanding partnership. And so we're proud of all those efforts that don't always show up in everything we do day to day, a little bit more behind the scenes per se, but we hope our having a positive impact on our partners out in the field and at schools that we authorize, but also our colleagues across the state and country. And Joe, we know that um, presenting at a national conference is a heavy lift. And has, as Jason had mentioned, several members of our team help to support that process. I'm sure some of our listeners are also interested in potentially presenting at a conference one day. So can you give them any tips or advice on how they may be able to present a proposal for a national conference. Yeah, so I think uh, for us, uh, it, it is always a challenge. I think there's different levels of comfort on the team as well. So, you know, uh, Jason, thanks for the shout outs for the folks on the team. I'll shout out Eric, the other member of the team as well, our assistant director for data analytics. Uh, presented during the pandemic at a global uh, data science conference, um, one of the better ones out there for our studio, which is the technology we use. Uh, and so I think for us, it's really just been an exercise in persistence. And uh, I think that's the, you know, that's kind of what, what most of us have learned throughout grad graduate school and that sort of thing is that if you have a good idea and you feel like it can be it can be important. It's really about persistence and then feedback from many different folks. So a lot of these research, the research proposals that we've submitted become stronger because our organization is so um, uh, holistic in a sense. We can, you know, we as a more technical team have the ability to get feedback from folks who are working directly in the field, whether it's the leads in the field ops team or whether it's the academic performance and accountability team that all that feedback that we can get on the front end before we submit the proposal make makes the proposals better and i've just found that things go a lot smoother for the from a submission side if we've crossed crossed a lot of those bridges and used that information and used that expertise that we have internally before we submit the proposal Megan, I'd answer that question um, slightly differently. Um, and I agree with everything Joe just said, so not disagreement, but I'd keep it even more simple in that advice. And I'd say, number one, know your audience. And so Joe's probably gonna have a little different audience at some of those conferences that a school leader might have. And so that, that's critically important, know your audience. And then I'd also say that, that, that age old adage of tell them what you're gonna tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. As simple as that strategy is, it's highly effective in any kind of communication effort, particularly in a presentation. 
But I'd, I would encourage folks going into a presentation at a conference to think, what are the three big nuggets you want your audience to walk away with? And then use those three as anchors in your introduction as you weave through. And then when you wrap things up, because they're not going to remember everything, but what are those three big things you want them to walk away with and try to be intentional about circulating your content to hit those three uh, pieces. Thanks, well, thank Jason. You. And it's thank exactly the guidance like that that helps us get accepted. <laughs> well, thank you, Jason and Joe. Um, one of the nuggets I want our audience to walk away with is that we're deeply appreciative of having you both on the team and the work that you guys are doing to support schools in the field. And so I want to thank Jason and Joe, uh, Jason Sarsfield and Joe Marr for joining us today as part of the podcast to talk about the um, results on testing and we'll look forward to seeing then you guys in the spring as we uh, conclude this year's round of testing and then uh, put out some additional content um, as well as a potential webinar and or on-site depending on uh, you know where the pandemic is sometime in the early summertime in June so thanks gentlemen and we will look forward to connecting with you all soon Hey, Orlando, thanks for the invite, as always, and Megan. Um, uh, last, I just wanted to mention, anybody out there listening, you know, we wish you a happy holidays, of course. Uh, we thank everybody in uh, schools for their continued persistence through the pandemic. Uh, we're proud of the efforts of our partner schools serving kids um, throughout these kind of unpredictable times, and we wish you the best and a really strong 2022 coming up. Thanks, everybody.